Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Happy Wednesday. Francis is back at it again. Oh, let's collectively sigh before I begin, because this is not fun to have to do once a week. He's saying, slurring, calling traditionalism infidelity to the Catholic Church and to Vatican II. I'm citing from a LifeSite News article that came out actually last week, and it didn't get tons of coverage. Francis, I repeat, is outright slurring traditionalism, all of it, the whole kit and caboodle, not radical traditionalism, not certain elements in radical traditionalism, but all of it as backward-looking infidelity to Holy Roman Church. Let me just open by saying, I'm sick of this. I'm so sick of covering the Pope. Now, there are other Catholic, right-wing, traditional-leaning YouTube channels that, like mine, get accused of loving to do shows on Francis, of being obsessed with Francis's faults, which are many. They're many. I'm, I'm not pretending they're not. I, you could ask Steph, when Francis does something like this, sigh. Will it be higher views? then the average, yeah, people tune in for these. But I, I will submit this to you, parish orphans, retrogrades. We have a tortured relationship with this Pope, and we have a tortured, as faithful sons and daughters of the church, we have a tortured relationship with the tortured relationship with the Pope. What I mean is, people will say to me, they'll say to all the other right-wing Catholic stream streamers and podcasters out there, you should seek out something positive. Don't just complain about Vatican II, about the Pope, and about the evisceration of the Latin Mass. Well, it so happens that I actually agree with this critique in kind. Now, I don't agree with all of it. There's nothing wrong with a critical show. That's why we're doing one right now. You're going to see me be really, really critical of Pope Francis today. And I've, I've done it lots before. When you go to war, you go Roman, to borrow a metaphor. But with the rest of those shows that a podcast, a live stream, a YouTube show spends its energy on the rest of the week or weeks, there ought to be positive solutions. You guys out there now know what my positive solutions are. Some of the other channels might or might not have so many positive solutions. I don't think... Most of the other Catholic channels out there have nearly as many. I don't know if any of them have as many. I say, get out of your blue state, get to a red state. Go to realestateforlife.org and someone will help you do it. Go to realestateforlife.org and literally do what you can to get out of your blue state, get to a red state. That'll improve your life. But what will follow you, even when you get to a red state and you're around sensible Trump voters? Well, the feminism inside your home will follow you and beleaguer you more than external blue state citizens did in your, home, in your old state. So what you have to do as a second measure is to make the case for patriarchy in your own home. Patriarchs, men have to be good, strong, holy, Catholic practicing, non-pornography using virtuous men who are the priests of the home. And then they have to demand that everyone in the household, especially wives, which is the sticky issue these days, 
are willing to follow their lead. There is no such thing as mutual submission. This is a lie. So that's a second major solution. Notice how neither of these solutions, I've written books on both of these, in Catholic Republic and the case for patriarchy. A third major solution is I've told families what they can do as their kids grow. Homeschool them. And I have a bunch of homeschooling resources on timothyjgordon.com. I have a whole register of courses, almost 20 now, that you can take. And it can help you if you're a timid, would-be homeschooler. Well, what do I do as my kid gets into high school and then college age? Trade school. Don't go to college. This is my fourth book with Dr. Michael Robillard. Another thing. Now, this is a don't, but we tell you what to do. It's a don't book, but it's a don't book that tells you what to do. That's a third major thing. Get married young. Look for other faithful Catholics for your teenagers to marry in their late teens or early 20s in your community. Stay local. Once you get to a red state, stay there. Don't go away to college. Get a trade. And you can be making six figures in many cases within three to five years. Those are all things that we can do that don't require the least amount of petitioning the clergy, the pyramidal top of which is this Pope, Pope Francis, number 266, who hates us. He hates you and I. If you're no, maybe you don't, maybe you're not a Latin mass supremacist the way I am, but if you are a Latin mass lover at all, Pope Francis thinks you have psychological issues, he said in the third year of his pontificate. Dig, dig, and you'll find psychological issues. Now he's saying you're outright an infidel, unfaithful to the church if you like the Latin mass. In today's show, we are going to get into how very sick of the forced negativity, Pope Francis forces it, I am. I, unlike others, do not like it. And, and maybe the others don't either. They just have to cover it or else they're rendered liars. So let's get into it. A, a, brief, a brief word before we get into this LifeSite article from last week. Pope Francis says traditionalism is infidelity to the Catholic Church in Vatican II. I just, I, I do want to address the gaslighting. Myself and other channels, we cover this because it's legitimate news. More important than a president or an executive or a constitutional monarch is our holy Roman pontiff. And when Joe Biden says things about right-wingers, when he gives a speech that looks like something Darth Sidious would give as Emperor Palpatine or says something that indicates that the federal government is going to be weaponized against right-wing Christian Americans. We cover it. News, people in the news and people in the commentary cover it. Well, first and foremost, this is a Catholic channel. And secondly, like I said before, Pope Francis is far more important a leader than just president of the USA. So, of course, when he says something like this, that traditionalism is infidelity to the Catholic Church, which strains reason, it also strains credibility. Strains credulity and credibility in different ways. We have to cover it. 
Those who don't cover it but complain about we about us who do tend to be, you guessed it, the Pope's planers. And they gaslight us. We're, we're all the victims here, the people that have any love in our hearts or much love in our hearts for tradition. We're getting beaten up on by an abusive Holy Father. And let me tell you what, just for covering it and commenting on it, they say, oh, you love it. You love it. And sometimes I hear it in the comments on this YouTube channel. By the way, do leave a comment. This video is important. Like it, subscribe, leave a comment, please. Please do it now. Like this video, subscribe to this channel, leave a comment. This is an important one to comment on. We'll hear back from you guys. I'll be a little more positive. You can't take more, I don't think conceivably you could take more positive steps that are realistically, that are realistic, that are rarely heard and are actually efficacious than what rules for retrogrades over the past two to three years has been advocating, especially the last one. This new set of podcasts I'm doing once a week with the other three guys, CMAS, Christian Masculinism, is a whole fourth project we're undertaking. These are all things we can do without LARPing, without pretending we're bishops, without pretending that we can realistically resist the Pope. All we can do is create awareness about the Pope and the bad bishops. We can't do anything. All these three or four other issues I've mentioned, these are things that I have taken great labors to expound upon. So don't tell me that I love the negativity and that there's no good show topics for a right-wing Catholic if it's not a Francis hatred. Don't, don't start here. You know that this program, even if others are more susceptible to that critique, because mainly what they do is complain about the Latin Mass, well, one, it's still fair for them to complain about the Latin Mass being taken, Francis, that spirit of Vatican II beating up on them. It's legitimate complaint. But maybe they're more susceptible to the critique that in a better pontificate, if our next pope, in other words, were Leo XIV or Pope Pius XIII, that they'd be out of show topics. Well, that might be true. That doesn't make it. It's a fair thing to say, but it's not a fair thing for folks to truly hold against those channels. But at any rate, you can't hold them against me. Let me, let me read you this story. It's from a week ago. I thought about covering it on Monday, and I was like, no, Monday's show needs to be Monday's show because it's more breaking news that is related to this story heavily, that Francis, the revolutionary, the destroyer, whatever you want to call him, is not able to get done what he wants to get done the way he wants to get it done. And I'm going to talk about something really important that's related to that proposition in a second. But first, I want to read the first couple paragraphs. Bear this at the front of your brain through everything we say on today's stream. Francis delayed, stretched time, stalled, whatever you will, for one more year at the Synod on Synodality because he can't get done what he wants to get done the way he wants to get it done. He could get it done in a different way. We're going to talk about this in a second. Think about that as I read. Marking the 60th anniversary of the start of the Second Vatican Council, Pope Francis attacked traditionalism as being evidence of infidelity. Direct quote. 
to the Catholic Church. The Argentinian pontiff made his remarks in his homily during a Mass in St. Peter's Basilica on October the 10th, marking the 60th anniversary of the opening of the Ecumenical Second Vatican Council. Under a passage from St. John's Gospel, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Francis launched his attack on the traditionalist movement, stating that we are always, this is a direct quote, we are always tempted to start from ourselves rather than from God, to put our own agendas before the gospel. He decried those who wish to retrace our steps. Let us be careful, he said. Both the progressivism that lines up behind the world and traditionalism that looks backwards, that longs for a bygone world, or not evidence of love, but an infidelity. Here's, here's the tricky little proposition that will help you, parish orphans and retrogrades, to make sense of Francis's pontificate. Ready for it? I came up with this. I've, I've been formulating this over the past couple months, but it came into my mind this morning as I was getting ready for this show. In the Francis pontificate, the methodology of Vatican I is at odds with the substance of Vatican II. Let me restate that. In the Francis pontificate, the methodology of Vatican I, which seems to be a, on its face a strong kind of papal absolutism, finds itself, Francis finds it, at odds with the substance of Vatican II, which, which is, you know, opening up the church to the world, modernizing the church. And in the Francis pontificate, for that matter, think about it. This is why we need a Vatican III. You have a, a not clearly enough defined papal absolutism that needs maybe some limits on it that might have gotten some limits in Vatican I if Vatican I hadn't been interrupted by the Franco-Prussian War. And Vatican II, you have some, I think, intentional vagaries. The documents are all still fine. But the intentional vagaries led us to the spirit of Vatican II, right? Which is, I think, what was sort of hardwired in it from the beginning. And um, a kind of radicalism, a change, a push for a, quote, new church. Francis literally, in, in calling for the synod, called for a, a different church, he, he, might, he said something like, we don't need another church, we need a different church. Those are mathematically the same statement. But do you understand what I mean? When I said before reading these first few paragraphs that Pope Francis can't accomplish what he wants to accomplish the way he wants to accomplish it, here's what I mean. It has everything to do with why he just paused this synod. Follow me closely. What Francis wants to do, what he was in place there to do by the St. Gallen Mafia, is to radicalize the church, to give us a whole different church. He admitted this. I'll read a direct quote also. It's linked to in this LifeSite article. It's another LifeSite article saying that he wants a different church. And he's, he's, that's clearly his project, making the Catholic Church a different church than it's been for two millennia. That's what he wants to do. But I told you he can't do what he wants to do in the way he wants to do it. How does he want to do it? Through synodality. So it's not just that Vatican II 
Uh, Vatican I's methodology of papal absolutism, at the time the conservatives were the one arguing for it, finds itself at odds in the Francis pontificate with the substance, with the ultimate substantive goal of the Francis pontificate, but also with the methodology of Vatican II. Not just the substance of Vatican II, but also the methodology of Vatican II. What's the methodology of Vatican II? Synodality. So what I mean to say is, Francis can't radically change the church, that's his goal, the way he wants to, which is with these kabuki theater synods, where he's like, hey, I just want to hear from the rank and file, right? I just want to hear from you guys. All these boomers in the church thought that if they do the straw poll democratic process that leftists are obsessed with, power to the people, that all the people will say, we want, go make a difference. We want bad sandals. We want basically a Lutheran high church. We want participation. We want hymns over chant. But that's not what the people want. We, the people, are faithful. We're a faithful people. Very sinful. Very marked with fault. Uh, us traditionalists. Constant squabbling. I mean, hard for one of us to be around the other. There is very little unity in the traditionalist movement, and you shouldn't expect to see it. When the father is not leading, the brothers are going to squabble. Okay? I don't like it, but I accept it. There is no way to unite the clans. It's nonsense. Okay? Because lay people aren't intended to do this, and we have to. So squabbling follows. But Francis paused the synod because what he wanted to do is have a foreordained result, like I talked about on Monday. Radical change. This is what we're doing, right? Well, the Sankt Gallen Mafia is all about the, me the methodology, the procedure of Vatican II, which was using synods, cooked up fake synods, which have enough of a spree de corps, enough of a spirit of radicalism, that even if it's not the majority there, it's at least a minority, a, a large minority, that they can aggrandize and make it seem like it's the majority. I think that's what happened at Vatican II. And they want to do this at non-ecumenical councils, at many synods. That's what he did at the family synod. I already I talked about this on Monday, right? If you didn't see my show on Monday, go watch it. But he can't do that because traditionalism, which used to be a niche movement in the 70s and 80s and 90s, has now blossomed into this monster. It's big. The mass of the ages getting over a million views. The TLM is big with not just traditionalists who reject Vatican II. It's just big with everyone who sees it. It was one generation that didn't like it. So he's stalling for time for an extra year because he has a choice. I've told you guys, we can't formally resist the pontiff. That's just Catholic teaching 101. He can either say, look, take off the mask fully, I think he's doing it anyway. I'm going to read you some more from the LifeSide article. But he could take off the mask fully and be like, look, I'm Emperor Palpatine. Here's what we're doing. He's had moments of this over the past three or four years. No more Latin mass. I hate it. 
I'm repressing it together. I'm abolishing it. Uh, I'm going to punish any priests that say the rosary, like what was happening in the 70s in seminaries. I'm going to formalize this. I'm going to make LGBTQ the way of the clergy, officially, even if it's the unofficial way of the clergy now. I'm not going to play games with footnotes and documentary attachments in my post-synodal apostolic exhortations anymore. I'm just going to say, yeah, public fornicators and adulterers can do whatever the hell they want. Same-sex attracted people can do whatever the hell they want. New World Order. That's He could go that route. And I don't know what... It's very unclear after Vatican I. There are people on the opposite side of this that I respect that want to see more real imposed limitations, even though Vatican I didn't lay them out. Even though Donum Veritatis doesn't lay them out. They want to see pre-existing limitations on papal power, but I don't see it. Now, I don't celebrate it. That's the difference. The The Pope Splainers seem to be celebrating it or to have at least formed a conspiracy of silence which affirms it. I don't. I'm just honestly saying Vatican I ended early and it seems to stand for the proposition, it used to be a conservative proposition, that the Pope has really, really plenary power. But Francis doesn't want to do that. He wants to give it to synods, have at least enough lefties and radicals in there with him and his his Belgian and his German buddies who made him Pope, and, uh, and, and make it look like a popular movement, the synodal way, the way of accompaniment, the way which shows a, a vox populi, a popular voice which is, is petitioning him for it, and he's just saying, okay, if you want it. That's what he wants. That's what synods are all about. That's what Cardinal Martini, the, dawn, the first dawn of the St. Gallen Mafia, said synods are the way. We don't have to have a majority. We have to have a big enough minority where we can, what we did at Vatican II, we can make it look like there's a popular crying out for radical change in the church, for a different church. But Francis isn't getting that because the Vox Populi in the church is traditionalism. And this tyrannical, really wicked prelate of a man, Pope Francis, is pissed. He is angry. He doesn't get what he wants. Now, he could do it, and I don't know any way to oppose him, but he's not willing to take off the mask fully yet. That's what's plaguing him. Vatican I at odds with Vatican II in real time and in the mind of Francis. You heard it here. That's what's plaguing this man. Francis styled both traditionalism and progressivism as forms of a Pelagian selfishness that puts our own tastes and plans above the love that pleases God, the simple, humble, and faithful love that Jesus asked of Peter. I'd love to hear how traditionalism does this. What, what were you saying, Steph? It's like the church for two millennia. We were with the church. He's yeah. not with the church. He's not with the church. How dare he call people who love tradition of the church not with the church. Is he insane? Which is why he must recur to rhetoric of surprises, counterintuitive, counterintuitive surprises, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, that occur around the, the, the end of the second millennium. This is why he's always about the God of surprises. Listen to his words from above. 
we are always tempted, think of Francis. We are always tempted to start from ourselves rather than from God. To put our own agendas, like the St. Gallen Mafia agenda, the before the gospel. What? Or even some of the reforms in Vatican II. Make it more open to the people. It's like, that's, wasn't that not the point? Yeah, the pe- exactly. The people, what about uh, Canon 212? Right? But, but Canon 212 articulates a licit way, an advisable Catholic way forward. For the faithful to petition the clergy and say, look, this is what we want. Francis, I think he's the one that's tempted to start from himself rather than from God. He's bringing an anti-gospel on the death penalty. He can't, he's putting his own agenda before the gospel. The gospel agenda is very pro-death penalty. He's putting his own agenda on feminism to bring women into basically the priesthood. Before the gospel, which makes it utterly clear you can't. He's putting his own agenda, like the Vatican II enthusiasts, on ecumenism before the clearly non-ecumenical agenda of the gospel. It is just a little too much for this guy to be accusing us, who love tradition, of putting our wants and preferences above the gospel. It is just too much. Unless, unless, it's too much, according to common sense, unless, unless... God is a God of surprises. God is essentially a voluntarist God who can change his will at, at uh, a moment's notice. His, his fiat is diktat and it can reverse like the Muslim God or in some cases the Protestant version of God. Unless the God of surprises can reverse his own will and his own intellectual diktat from era to era, which is why they're big on this, Pope John Paul II, I'm sorry, he's, he's, he's more of a progressive than you guys thought. He's the one that started Christian feminism. He's the one that started the attack on the death penalty. He's the one that was in love with ecumenism. Look at Assisi, 1986. Sorry, sorry, sorry. There's more of a lineage between JP2 and Francis, not on all issues, not on divorce, uh, communion for the divorced and civilly remarried, but there's more of a lineage between them intellectually than a lot of you guys want to admit. We can deal with that another day. But my point is, even JP2 said that Vatican II was a new Pentecost. That means a new birthday for the church. What does a new birthday mean, particularly in Francis's rhetoric? A place where God can is not subject to the principle of non-contradiction. And God is, because he's not a voluntarist God like the God of Islam, he cannot make murder good. He cannot make, ontologically speaking, mortal sin good. He cannot reverse his will. He cannot make rape good. He cannot say that what was bad in the Old Testament becomes good in the New Testament, becomes bad again in the New New Testament. That's not how God works. He's, we do not believe in a voluntarist God. The God of surprises that Francis is always obliquely insinuating very, very horribly semi-describing would be a voluntarist God that is, I'm sorry to say this, it's insinuated by JP2 when he talks about a new Pentecost, doesn't have to follow all the really clear, bright line, black letter rules of both discipline and doctrine that have been established for two millennia. Now, discipline can change some, but I mean more doctrinal discipline. 
and I mean hard, irreformable doctrine, death penalty in principle cannot be done away with. But that's why he has to do this God of Surprises thing. Because Vatican I, its methodology is at odds with Vatican II's substance and methodology. In the mind of Francis, and in reality, we need a Vatican III. You heard it here first. Traditionis Custodis is more a Vatican I question. How plenary is the power of the Pope? Than it is a Vatican II question. But a lot of the other ones have been a mixture. Praising the council for its actions, Francis stated that it rediscovered the living river of tradition, capital T, without remaining mired in small t, traditions. Cool. He told the assembled congregation not to be concerned with being on the climb toward heaven. What? Not concerned with getting to heaven? Now the Pope's planners will be like, he didn't say getting to heaven. He said on the climb to heaven. Heaven's above us. The only way to get there is to go up. Don't be concerned with being on the climb toward heaven or with attempts to shepherd yourselves. Rather, he urged a rejection of everything in the service of Francis urged a rejection of everything in the service of fraternity. I think he urged a rejection of everything not in the service of fraternity. Here's what he said. There might be a typo. How often, says Francis, in the wake of the council, he means Vatican II. To him, he calls it the council because it's the only ecumenical council he wants to honor. How often in the wake of the council did Christians prefer to choose sides in the church, not realizing they were breaking their mother's heart? This language is too much. How many times did they prefer to cheer on their own party rather than being servants of all? No. By and large, traditionalists, lots of them have been a thorn in my side. I'm one of them. Lots of them quibble nonstop. Lots of them lack charity. But guess what? They do love Jesus. That's their, they're partisans of Jesus. They might be annoying Pope Francis. They might be very annoying to you. They might be annoying one to another, but they are partisans of Jesus and they've got the basics right. The higher stuff like charity, they might not have right. But that's a trickier question. That's a theological virtue. The basic virtues of justice, religious worship, they've got those. How many times do they prefer to cheer on their own party rather than being servants of all? To be progressive or conservative rather than being brothers and sisters? Well, what am I to do? Be a brother with a so-called Catholic like Joe Biden? A pervert? A pervert creep who roots actively for babies to be killed? No. I tell you no. To be on the right or the left rather than with Jesus. That's the end of the direct quote. Now, the next section is gratifying, and I won't give any commentary. I'll just read it because I think LifeSite, the, the author of the LifeSite article, who um, they have a habit of putting the names only at the end of these articles, and I, I want to give credit to who wrote it, but it's, um, I don't see who wrote it. Um, I'll try to find it. Okay, thanks. Um, I'll, I'll reduce my commentary to not because it's, it's, its commentary is really good in this section. Francis opposes Latin mass but warns of polarization. In promoting Vatican II, Francis's homily was flush with ironic phraseology. Michael Haynes. 
Michael Haynes, good good section here. While his 2021 re- restrictions on the traditional mass were entitled Guardians of Tradition, which he meant to be a thumb in the eye of traditionalists, Francis yesterday attacked those who present themselves as guardians of the truth or pioneers of innovation rather than seeing themselves as humble and grateful children of Holy Mother Church. Francis's restrictions on the ancient liturgy pronounced in the name of Vatican II, have since decimated parishes and communities. Yet Francis said that the church should leave aside the isms for God's people do not like polarization. Hat tip, good point. How timely the council remains, Francis argued. It helps us reject the temptation to enclose ourselves within the confines of our own comforts and convictions. The council helps us Imitate God's approach, which the prophet Ezekiel has described to us today. Seek the lost sheep and lead back to the fold the stray. Bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. The pontiff closed by repeating his call to let us overcome all polarization and preserve our communion. This is a joke. However, some pointed to Francis' own record on polarization, warning that his homily was a promotion of his assault on the church's tradition. This is a Bergolian speak for ending the traditional Latin mass, wrote catechist deacon Nick Donnelly. Here's what Donnelly wrote. Let us overcome all polarization and preserve our communion, said Bergoglio during his homily on the 60th anniversary of Vatican II. Pope, Pope, he's Pope Francis. Um, this is Bergolian speak for ending the traditional Latin mass He plans to enforce the Novus Ordo as the only expression of communion. Dick Donnelly tweeted this on October the 11th last week. Donnelly added that Francis has relentlessly attacked the living river of tradition since the beginning of his pontificate. That's the end of that section, and it it was a well-done section. Its commentary speaks for itself. Now, Going into the next section of this article, I would just say this much. That Pope Francis, going into the Synod on Synodality, which the popular route, he wants to cast this as the popular route, we already talked about that, is not serving up to him the way he wanted to serve it up or frame it up. So he's frustrated, he's mad, he's behind schedule, as, we, as I talked about it on Monday. He's, he's got four or five agenda points to accomplish, to destroy the church, which is his goal. And he's only got one of the four or five. And, and you know, in, in March, it's a 10-year anniversary. So he's mad. He's under the gun. <coughs> he's feeling really pressured. So now he's getting, the mask is coming off. He's saying more outright. When he calls for the synod on synodality to usher in change, He's saying outright, I want a different church. He said it doesn't have to be another church. It has to be a different church. That's another LifeSite article that's linked in this article. I might have linked both. But it's it's linked here in the middle of this section. You should read both LifeSite articles. They're both great. Vatican II underpinning the current pontificate is the title of this section. Francis and his close advisors have continually cited Vatican II in their recent moves against the church's tradition including in Traditionis Custodis and the current Synod on Synodality. Indeed, the latter 
has been described as an extension of Vatican II since the process was announced last year. Basically, all of the Francis synods have been an extension of the spirit of Vatican II. And we don't, I'm sick of talking about Vatican II. I've done extensive work on it. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. The distinction between the intent and the text, between the history, the event of the council, and what the documents mean. And I'm not going to talk anymore for that matter about the distinction between Vatican II itself and the spirit of Vatican II. I've done this extensively and my position is relatively unique, but it's never been rebutted. It's the right position. So we'll leave that aside. Speaking of LifeSite last year, Matt Gaspers, managing editor of Catholic Family News, said that the Synod, quote, calls to mind what Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano wrote in his first major intervention regarding the council, namely that from Vatican II onwards, a parallel church was built, superimposed over and diametrically opposed to the true church of Jesus Christ. It, this is hard to deny. For, for even far-right-wing normies, normie far-right-wingers, if there's this sort of a new class of post-trads or whatever. But it's hard for even them to deny. Francis wants a different church. Matt Gaspers, who's a little more of a traditionalist than me, says that this calls to mind what Vigano wrote. The Vatican II built a parallel church, superimposed over, diametrically opposed to the church, to Church of Jesus. I don't know how to deny this anymore. Do you? And I make distinctions. I'll, I'll, I'll stick up for my own part. I make distinctions where they need to be made, and I don't know how to deny this. This parallel church progressively obscured the divine institution founded by our Lord in order to replace it with a spurious entity, a fake entity, corresponding to the desired universal religion that was first theorized by Masonry. Okay, now it goes on to Vatican II intended as pastoral, not doctrinal. I, I, don't, I don't care about that. That's been talked to death. Very good article, though. Good, good job. And I would just say this. Concluding word, I think I've said everything I want to say on it, but I would, I would conclude by asking you guys to comment. What do you think of this? Comment in the sections. I know I don't always say, hey, comment. What do you think? I really want to know about a couple things in particular. Comment on this. Number one, when Francis is outright saying that the, the, the most faithful Catholics, the ones that just want to do what the church has done for 2,000 years, are the infidels, the most faithful ones are the infidels, then A, this is question one, should you guys, the consumers of Catholic content out there on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube, really be complaining that all of us Catholic podcasters, live streamers, are talking a lot about it. Should they? Yes. Why? No. Why? That's question number one. Question number two is this. If Francis is saying that those who love the church's tradition, meaning 2,000 years of tradition, are the infidels, then question number two, can we deny any longer that he's trying to build a different church? in the fashion that Vigano describes. If you say, look, here are the infidels, the people that want to keep to the true gospel. By definition, isn't he building a false gospel? Question number three. 
don't you have to answer yes to question number two, given that Francis said himself when he called for the Synod on Synodality that he wants a different church? Those are your three topics. Please comment on those. Please like this video. I know I don't always do it when I watch a YouTube video, even if I like it in my head. I don't like it on YouTube. You have to help us beat the algorithms. Subscribe to this channel. If this is your second time or more watching it and you're not subscribed, subscribe to us. What a time to be alive in. We'll get past it. You get past the supernatural, maybe preternatural troubles that we're experiencing by going back to the basics. The natural remedies in our day-to-day -day lives. Balkanization, get to, a, get to a red state. Men, hedge your families. Don't go to college, homeschool and go to trade school. And of course, the sea mask thing Christian Masculinism is a podcast that I'm doing each of these days, and uh, I'm really excited. It encapsulates each of the first three. This week, on Friday, we will be on Elliot Hulse's channel. Each week, we do a Seamask podcast on one of each of the four of our YouTube channels. So we did the first one on my channel last Friday. Go watch that if you didn't. Please watch the content from the recent history if you haven't watched it, if you're a regular. Friday will be on Elliot's channel. Also Friday, the first patrons-only viewing club event in the afternoon for Stranger Things. So become a patron today if you're interested in that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about Aristotle and Thomas and the ethics of the Catholic Church, how it occasionally slips into very, very wicked movie-making industry. And it's, it's beautiful when it does. We're counter-infiltrating when there's Aristotelian ethics in a show by a Leviathan that's evil like Netflix. And that's what happened with Stranger Things Season 1. That's what we're going to talk about. God bless you all. Deus Volt. Stay strong. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.